Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Energy Management Podcast. This is a podcast for energy managers, sustainability leaders, and facility operators to share their stories of success out in the field. My name is Simran, and I am the producer and occasional co-host of this show. Joining me today is my other co-host, Nate Nillis. Thanks, Sim. This should be a good episode. Will be, definitely. And our guest today is Dr. Aurora Don Benton. Dr. Benton is a passionate sustainability consultant and speaker who founded the company Estrapto, a sustainability consulting company that provides practical training and toolkits to simplify the concept and idea of sustainability for anyone who is looking to learn more with an open mind. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to come and share some of my thoughts on sustainability. Definitely. Let's go ahead and, and jump right in. Um, I'd love for you to, you know, give us a little bit about you, how you jumped into sustainability. I know that it's a it's a passion for you that you've turned into a career. And, and I know that um, actually your company name has a little bit of meaning behind it as well, if, if you'd be willing to share with the listeners. Absolutely. Astrapto means to illuminate in Greek. And my mission is to shed light on practical and business-oriented approaches to solving social and environmental challenges. And this theme of shedding light has really always been present in my life. I love to teach. I love to enlighten people and open their eyes to things that maybe they didn't realize before. And then really just how do I empower them and enable them to act on what they now know, right? So we can all learn like, oh, here's the hunger rate in my city, but what am I supposed to do about it, right? Here's, here's what we know about climate change, but what am I supposed to do about it as a person? And, you know, probably where I'm at now is a real convergence of a really diverse background. I have degrees in computer information systems. I have an international MBA and I have a doctorate in social impact management. I've worked in several industries, software, retail, financial services, higher ed, and hospitality. And my journey with the whole social and sustainability impact area started about 15 years ago when I was really intrigued by this idea of social impact investing. And I wasn't really sure what that meant from a career perspective. Like, what am I going to do with that? I just was really, um, just really curious, like, well, how do we get money filtered into more um, altruistic things? And, and don't get me wrong, I am a business person. Right? I'm, not, I'm not, you know, a nonprofit person. I, I, am, I understand the concept of profit. I'm all about like, you know, business makes sense to me. But it made so much sense to me that business could also do good. And I just love that idea. So I spent some time just reading and trying to understand what did that mean for me. And then where I think it really kind of triggered is in 2008, I volunteered to teach an entrepreneurship course to immigrants at a local community center. And that really just started deepening this idea that job creation and dignity with work and all of these concepts around social entrepreneurship really resonated with me. So on the side, kind of a side gig thing, I I worked with social entrepreneurs over the years, mentoring them and helping them. And then in the spring of 2016, I was working for a company and they sold the division that I worked for to a foreign entity and all the U.S. positions were eliminated. So at the time I was finishing up my doctorate in social impact management and I did some soul searching and I realized that there was this little voice that had been in my head for years that had said, one day I'm going to work full time in corporate social responsibility. 
And I kind of thought like, well, what day are you waiting for? You know, so uh, I realized that this was a, it was a moment, right? It was one of those moments in life where you're handed an opportunity to really make a shift. And as I started to research what that would look like and what jobs are available and, and how I might get a job in this field, I realized that I needed to actually broaden my perspective to the full range of sustainability. So not just the social side, but also the environmental side. And since I didn't have experience with that, I got a lead green associate and just really consumed a ton of information on the built environment, which got me even more excited to be in this space. I, I really kind of fell in love with waste management and energy management and water conservation and all these other pieces that I really just had not even been very aware of before. Um, and so when I was thinking about, okay, getting a job in this, given the career I had, I had a lot of great skills and you know, strategy and project management and operations and marketing, just a really great diverse background. But I didn't have the resume that it would take to get the right kind of position that I would be looking for at that point in my career in sustainability or even CSR. So I decided that the same amount of effort required to get a job could be put into starting a company. And if I got a job along the way, then great. But here I am four years later and I still have my company. I know exactly how you're feeling. It's interesting, the the sustainability side of it. If I was to look back and someone was to say, hey, you would have been in that for the last 17 years, I think it is, where I'm in now, it uh, it's addicting, right? And I think it's because it is mission-driven. And, and those things, as you mentioned, social impact, where you really are investing um, for a return. And, and I think the hard thing is, how do you measure that impact? And most people have always kind of looked at some of the pieces, uh, especially sustainability, as a cost center, as opposed to investing. In Chicago, there was a, an organization there that helped teen moms develop um, job skills, resume skills, and they made candles. They took recycled wine bottles and made candles. And that gave the, that brought in some income because they were able to sell candles. And they also, of course, were a nonprofit. So they were receiving donations from the community and from funders and, and grant uh, grants, et cetera, to be able to provide housing and services, et cetera, to prepare teen moms to have successful, you know, parenting skills and, and job skills. So this shift in thinking about how money is distributed and how it is, how the return is accounted for has been shifting. And, and there's still a lot of what makes it really difficult on the social side compared to the, one of the things I think I like about having also gotten involved in the environmental side is the math is so much easier on the environmental side, right? There's still a lot of complexity, but I can measure how much you know, energy and a piece of equipment cost, I can measure how much I can save if I don't use it as much. And that's pretty straightforward math. Whereas social impact is so much more nuanced and complex to measure. And I'm by no means an expert on that. I, I look to other experts and pull out their research. But, you know, there have been studies that show social return on investments that range from, you know, for every $1 invested range from one to like $7 in return based on reduced stress on local support services. So reduced 
need for police, reduced need for emergency room services, reduced, you know, prison um, things, you know, all of the things that tax us literally and figuratively, right, um, can be reduced when we invest in these social initiatives. So Dr. Benton, you know, I think prior to COVID, the, I, the question I would have asked you is, you know, how can we give examples to company on engaging their employees in corporate sustainability initiatives? And, and I think the question now in some ways is still the same, but in another way, you know, there's a lot of companies that still have employees either working from home now or even in the foreseeable future. And, you know, what advice do you have on companies as they navigate the new normal going forward on, on making sustainability a priority whether or not employees are actually in a physical building? Yeah, this is a great question and it's a great opportunity, actually. I, I think that one of the things that I am a big proponent of is green teams. And I think it's one of those things that a lot of people give lip service to green teams. You know, I go into a lot of buildings and I ask about green teams and, you know, you hear one of those like, oh, isn't that like us? That's like 10 years ago. We've all, we haven't, we all done that. Then we check that all off our box. <laughs> no, <laughs> you may have had a green team once, but, but where is it now? <laughs> Does it still exist? And, you know, so I, I'd say that maybe maybe twenty percent of the buildings that I interact with have, have green teams, right? Or, or companies have green teams, and I think it's one of those things that got so easily dismissed because it's not an easy thing to do, right? I mean, it, it's by its nature. Well, let me say this. Let me let me say what a green team is not. A green team is not just the building engineer and here's a her team. <laughs> the green team is not just the executive team. The green team is not just a 15-minute thing you do once a quarter to check a box for your building certification or whatever, right? So a true green team, an integrated, cross-functional, dynamic, diverse, representative green team is a challenging thing to put together because companies are inherently siloed, right? And if they were siloed before when we were sitting in the same building... Can you only imagine? I mean, that is one thing I think about culture and how this will impact culture. If you don't have intentional reasons to have Zoom calls and interactions or whatever, you know, platform agnostic, whatever platform you use, if you're not intentionally creating cross-departmental bridges, if you're not, if you're not putting people together purposefully and intentionally, then I, I fear that the that the silos that already exist in organizations and make sustainability challenging could deepen, right? Because if I don't know what you do, even though you sit down the hall for me, it's easy for me to be very annoyed by the noise you make when you clip your nails at your desk. <laughs> like I think about <laughs> all those environments where I've, you know, been around that. It's like, I don't know who you are, but you piss me off every time. You, like, so it's, you know, think just that's just basic change management and culture, right? So, so a green team is an opportunity to bring people together who, uh, who who would not necessarily normally have conversations, and you know, present to them an opportunity to create improvements and not to, I think you have to be careful with green teams. You know, I think some of the excuses for why green teams don't happen are things like turnover, language barriers, especially when I think about the hospitality environment where I spend most of my time. Turnover and language barriers are two of the big, and shifts, schedules, right? Because you've got a lot of people working, you know, all kinds of crazy schedules. 
So there's all these excuses for why you can't get people to get into a room together, or there's just the general apathetic, our employees won't do the work, our employees don't care, you know, which is such a horrible generalization to make. But these are things that you can design a green team experience so that it operates within whatever sort of constraints you might have, right? So if you have, um, if you have language barriers, figure, you know, if you figured out how to get people who speak other languages to work in your building, you can figure out how to get them to do other things that benefit both them in terms of just sort of a general job appreciation perspective, but also just how they can improve the the performance, operational performance of, of the business and the building. And so I think, you know, asking diverse people to come together and, and if they have crazy schedules, then use WhatsApp, you know, like why does everything have to be a, a physical meeting? So it's just really kind of breaking th- free of all those standard rules, like turnover. Why is turnover a problem? Why does a green team have to be the same 15 people for five years? Why can't a green team be a rotational thing? Why can't it be something you do for three months and then you rotate in and out? And so I think the the concept, and you also, you don't even have to call it a green team, call it whatever you want, but it's this concept of breaking down the barriers that exist across departments. And, and actually, you know, I don't, Nate, I'm not sure if you were the one who brought it up, but I was listening to the podcast that you guys did when you shared the results of a survey that you did last year. And you, somebody on the, that webinar shared the example of how a sustainability manager can go to like a building manager and say, here's the spreadsheet, just fill in the spreadsheet, right? And when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, I know where this is going. <laughs> okay, thank you for providing me one more spreadsheet. I mean, already these are the same people who have to log into a dozen different portals to enter their information. And sometimes it's duplicate or triplicate, the same information across multiple systems. And so there's this lack of like empathy and understanding. And I know that some of that can be fixed with systems, obviously. Technology is part of the solution. But part of this is conversations and communication and empathy and dialogue and stakeholder engagement. And all of those things can be done relatively affordably, if not completely free, by implementing green teams. And I don't know if that's an oversimplification, but I do believe that too many excuses and barriers are put up for a solution that's actually quite elegant and quite doable and quite enjoyable. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And and I think part of it, as you mentioned before, in these diverse cross-functional teams, which is awesome, is that they just have to have an easy, common platform to be able to visualize and understand the KPIs, or, or really, I think it falls into a category of, you know, what is my role in this, and how do we measure our success, right? So you can get the team rallied around that, and I think that's the lacking piece when you think of those teams a lot. Someone that may not be traditionally in facilities or sustainability, but in another um, part of the business. How helping them understand their role, right? And, and exactly. how do we measure if we're winning or losing? And, and that's a way to get excited about it. And I think with modern technology, it's so much easier to automate and get access to that data that, you know, it doesn't seem like it is a lot of extra work. You no, know, it's something that can, can be more fun, mission driven, if you will. 
Absolutely. So that- in fact, I, I love that you say that it can be more fun because I think about when I do training on any sustainability topic, I always try to have slides that that give you that like wide-eyed moment, that that moment, you know, in a, in a physical environment when you're presenting, it's the moment that everybody wants to take a picture of that slide, right? It's the one that, and it's almost always a chart or a graph. It's, it's almost always data that makes people be like, oh, ooh, I knew food waste was a problem, but look at that graph. That's crazy, you know? And so I think you're right that data can actually um, it can be, you know, geeky and challenging to interpret and understand. And, and, you know, there's a different set of skills that need to be in place to, to do that kind of work. But I think other people can certainly appreciate a basic pie chart or trend line. And so I think using, taking that kind of information that comes out of some sort of dashboard and being able to relate it to the behavior of a department. So a great example of this would be you know, you can install LED lights, you can have a building management system, but you can still have behavior where you walk around and you see lights on in empty meeting rooms all over a hotel or a convention center, right? So that's behavior. That is, that's a change management thing. And so you can ask people and ask people and ask people and ask people to turn off the lights, or you can install a system that does it automatically. But if you don't have a good culture, they'll rebel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and actually possibly sabotage that. But when you involve them and you show them the impact of their choices, then it, beca- you don't even, it, you just step aside and let them do the thing that they feel naturally inclined to do because you've just simply given them the data they need to make the right choice. Absolutely. We see that a lot too, whether it's, um, you know, again, in, in keeping that fun theme, competitions, right, amongst groups, even if it's a, a pizza party for a prize or something s- simple, um, whether it's occupants in corporate environment, higher education, cities, et cetera, I think there's a lot of interesting things you can do to keep it fun. Uh, you know, we've even seen it in goals for annual goals, just in a reduction goal for everybody that has a, a social environmental impact. So I think there's, there's ways to keep that interesting for sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, Dr. Benton, you made a really good point about the communication aspect of it, right? Because I think that a lot of times when you think about the role of an energy or a sustainability or a facilities person, you know, it, it's a very technical role and, and you're dealing with a lot of data, a lot of systems and, you know, but when you're thinking about who you're communicating with from a sustainability or energy reduction you know, aspect, you're really looking at the occupants within your building or school, um, or even your community. So, you know, it's always important, I think, to remember, like, who you're talking to and, and presenting information in a way that, you know, really brings them into the fold and shows them the impact of what they're doing, right? I think it's uh, the one example that always comes to mind is, you know, when I look at, like, my electricity bill, and it says, you've saved X amount of kilowatts. And then sometimes, you know, they'll say, like, that's the equivalent of running, you know, a washing machine for 30 hours, like having a way to, to connect it to something that really resonates with a person is, is really a great way to educate people. Yeah, absolutely. And that also works with waste reduction and all sorts of sustainability initiatives. It's really about connecting people and whatever passion or interest they might have to what you have going on. Absolutely. I wonder if just switching gears for a moment, 
I know looking at your background, I was really interested in uh, the Global Sustainability Tourism Council. And I know with COVID, that has probably <laughs> changed dramatically. Uh, hoping, hoping that opens up and we get our, get our arms around that soon. But is that about identifying best practices or changing mindsets to improve? Or, or what, what is the, the group's focus and, and what interesting things have you done there? Yeah. And actually, I I don't serve with them anymore. I did a two-year stint to help them on a particular committee they have. But I love the work that they're doing because what they're really trying to do is, I'd say that they're trying to create the same kind of momentum in travel and destination and hospitality eco-certification that predominant, uh, you know, like lead basically, right? So lead is prolific, right? Everybody, they're glo- it's global, it's prolific, it's the building standard. It's not the only one, of course, there are others out there. There's some really fantastic ones out there that give lead run for its money, but you know, the numbers don't lie, <laughs> the numbers are there. And, and it's got, and even more importantly, it has some consumer recognition, right? So even my mom who doesn't know too much about, you know, all this stuff, she's seen that and understands what it means, right? So the GSTC, the Global Tourism, um, the Global Sustainable Tourism Council is actually a, uh, this is probably a little more (laughs) complicated than we want to get into here today, but they're actually a a certifier of certifiers. And so um, if you're not familiar with sort of the way certifications are structured and the whole, you know, third party patient and how standards are approved and and then sort of filter down into the label that you see on a product or on a building wall, it's it's certainly something to to read on your own time. I'm not going to go go into that today. It's not my specialty and I I don't want to do it a disservice, but I think it's really interesting how what they're trying to do, what they've recognized is that. In the hotel space, for example, there's more than 200 certifications that can apply. And, and if you really broaden it to all the different things that apply, there's, there are literally hundreds of certifications that a hotel could go for, right? That's ridiculous. That's crazy. Now, some of those are regional, right? So certain countries have their own eco-certification or there's, you know, there's building-related ones. There's, there's the operations-related ones. There's all kinds of different, you know, nuances and specialties and niches of these different certifications. What GSTC is trying to say is like, hey, we're not trying to circumvent those. We're not trying to say that that those have no value in the marketplace. We're trying to offer an additional brand that consumers across markets might be able to recognize. So in, you know, if I'm a if I'm a traveler and I'm booking a trip to let's say I want to go to Thailand next year and I really want to put my money where my mouth is and stay in a, a certified sustainable um, resort, even a Google search doesn't always help because um, a lot of hotels that have certifications, it's really hard to actually, there's not a lot of good uh, filtering and, and search engines out there for it. There are a few, like there's Book Different and some others out there that can help you with that. But anyway, it, it can be problematic. It's not as, as straightforward as it should be. And so they're trying to really create momentum around this idea that you don't have to know all 200 certifications because if those 200 certifications got accredited by the GSTC, then all you need to really know is is the GSTC label 
and then you can maintain the integrity of that local or that other label at the same time. So um, when I was working with them, we were just looking at how that pertains to the business travel space. And um, that's another, you know, for events, which is where I, I do a lot of my work. It's just super complicated. It's <laughs> just a really, really uh, complex space. And I think, you know, just kind of tying it back to building management and energy management, you know, all of this points to the need for greater education of not only just in consumers, but in the B2B space as well, right? So business buyers that are making, you know, when they make one choice, one decision, one vendor pick, they're having a bigger ripple effect, right? Than a consumer that makes a choice. There needs to be, I think, a greater level of education about what these kind of certifications and systems and labels and things mean and standards and frameworks and such. And specifically the difference between the building being certified, so like lead certification uh, for the building versus operational, right? So yes, you can build it green, but do you still keep the lights on all the time? Are you buying, you know, toxic chemicals that you're spraying in the air? Are you, you know, you're engaging in all these practices that don't make the building remain green, right? Even though you built it green. And so I think that, that, the kind of work that GSTC and other organizations are doing, it's, it's a, it's a tough field to be in because most people just really don't know that much about it. And, and I guess I'd be curious to hear from you guys, how you see that from a more specific energy and building management perspective. Yeah, we've seen it shift uh, a lot. I think it has really accelerated in, in earlier podcasts. We've had some interesting guests uh, on this topic, but I, but I think the major shift was, that sustainability was very transactional and there was a beginning and there was an end, whether that's green building or somebody uh, setting up set points in a building, et cetera. But I think the shift in mindset has really moved to sustainability is continuous optimization. So when you look at it as optimization, it really transitions into your green teams and that there is no end, right? So it's going to continue exactly. to be a process that is is optimized, whether it's through new technology, <clears throat> new internal change management processes, et cetera, in that it uh, it is just a part of the normal course of business. And I think with that, we've seen a lot of executives um, that didn't have a table, uh, a seat at the table at the C-suite, whether it was in energy and sustainability, but because of the net impact way beyond uh, just a simple dollar cost savings, whether it is in the corporate sustainability and, and how the company is viewed, the net impact it has with their value chain, uh, et cetera, that, that it is a C-suite role now, which, which I think is great. So, so I think that is, we've really seen it change. The momentum is there. And I think a lot of work is left to be done to really trickle that down into sort of a unit basis. So again, doing a lot of the work that I do in hospitality and franchised organizations. So what, for example, I have an online green team course. It's available for anyone in, you know, that wants to take it, but I also run it as a college course. And so my college students, they work in grocery stores and restaurants and hotels and, you know, kind of jobs that college students have wide variety, mostly hospitality, but it's across the board. And, you know, they, the ones that work for chains, 
like you know change like names you would hear of right like in the hotel space in the restaurant space etc i can't tell you how often i hear from them because one of their assignments is they have to look into the corporate initiatives that are going on with sustainability and i hear over and over and of course i see it as a traveler i see this myself because i pick up on these things but i hear over and over and over again i had no idea we were doing dot 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 oh they say that we're doing dot 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 but at our property blah 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 right so there's this real disconnect so i i think that it's great i celebrate and applaud what you just said which is you know there's starting to be more of you know the the chain, the major chains are starting to have actual like entire departments. Like it's no longer even just one person. It's a whole department. There might be like three or four or five people even in sustainability. I mean, we're talking pre COVID. I I know a lot of those people are, were, you know, sort of in the furlough uh, group, but that's all great. But getting that filtered down into the policy, the performance review, the other mechanisms that are, in the accountability structure at an actual location is I think the next step, right? Like let's take that transformation one step further and make sure that that information really is disseminated and acted upon in a way that really does drive results. Totally agree. I I think we see it really heavily at the enterprise level uh, and we're starting to see a major shift and those teams in some places are huge, you know, uh, when I say that huge for, for the space, 25, 30 uh, plus people, which is fantastic. And I think technology is a real driver there, both in affordability and just access to the data. Um, but, I, but I think the next major shift that I think will have a huge impact is how do you do that with the small to medium business owner that you know is really focused the majority of their time on core business. So I, I think you know, we'll continue to push and see innovation there. So it's not just at the enterprise level. Yeah, I think, you know, you both mentioned a really interesting point. And, you know, as we look towards what sustainability looks like in the future, you know, we, to Nate's point, we've come a long way, you know, sustainability used to just be kind of a a set it and done thing. And now it's transformed into, you know, continuous optimization. Dr. Benton, you mentioned, you know, having the ability to share information across teams or, or having just information that you can act upon it and make, you know, a strategic initiative on, on making strides towards your goals. Um, I would be really curious to hear, you know, in, in the past, in your experiences and teaching, you know, is there one project that really stands out to you as kind of a success story or something that, you know, someone can look to as how they could make some success within their organizations as well around sustainability? Yeah, well, first, I, I would say that part of what my vision and my passion is I want to see people at any point in an organization be able to feel empowered to make the change that they want to make. So I I hear a lot from college and we see this in surveys constantly, right? Millennium millennials and, and Gen Z, they want to work in jobs with purpose. They want jobs with sustainability in the title. And they, they are seeking that as part of their career path. And the reality is there's not enough jobs out there. And a lot of them aren't actually trained in that field. It's just something they're passionate about and they want a way to manifest that. But what I also find is that the vast majority of them are just sitting around waiting for someone to give them permission or just waiting for that. They're waiting for a job title. And what I, what I built my green team course for and what I really am passionate about is 
showing them some simple things that they can do given the boundaries that they're working in, right? Giving whatever sort of span of control they might have and however small it might be. I mean, we're talking everything from, you know, front desk clerk interns to, you know, department directors, right? Whatever the case may be. And just showing them how they can take one step, then the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step. And a lot of those steps, I'm not even talking about like, call your local waste management company. I'm actually talking about things like have a conversation with someone over coffee, (laughs) you know, just bit like building the bridges and the relationships. And so I think part of my, what I'd like think of a success story is a little bit hard to, you know, specifically quantify because it's dispersed across all these people who've started, you know, dozens and dozens of green teams after taking the course. But occasionally I do hear uh, comments. I also have this course called Ignite the Sustainability Leader Within. And I, it's a talk that I give that I turn into a course. And it's basically like, here are the top 10 stupid excuses <laughs> that I hear. I'm sorry for that. But they're kind of just like these lame excuses. Actually, that was, I think, the the one of the talks that I did. I called it like lame excuses or lasting legacy, right? Like, are you really going to give my employees don't want to do the work. Really? Is that your answer? That's your final answer on why you're not going to do sustainability. So I created this course to kind of help people identify what some of these common barriers are and to realize that they're not, they don't come from a place of like, oh, I don't want to do this or I don't, I don't care. They come from a place of like, I don't want to look dumb. I'm too busy. I'm trying to impress my boss or what, you know, there's other legitimate psychological things going on. And so occasionally I will hear people, they'll email me and say, oh my God, this was, this was so great. I felt so alone in my sustainability work. Like I'm the only one in my company working on sustainability. So Nate, this kind of goes back to your comment earlier about sort of the small to medium business. You know, I'm the only one doing sustainability in my business. And I, you know, and, and the fact that I can make them feel like you're not alone, you can do this. This is simpler than you think. This is just about building relationships and taking some of these other, you know, practical steps that I give them. And that makes me feel so good. I mean, I've done other, you know, I've done big client work. I've done some really amazing work in food waste and, you know, I have some great stories that, that I love to tell about that. But I'd, I'd have to say that what really sort of, especially with COVID and the fact that my big clients are all sort of on hold right now with, with everything going on, you know, my heart beats around the the little people (laughs) right now, you know, just those individual people out there doing their thing and making change happen one little small step at a time. And, and that doesn't always make for a grand story, you know, to answer your question, but it is what is my passion and vision. That makes a lot of sense. I, I think being able to, you know, and this probably transition, Sim, to the question you're going to ask so people know how to reach you is uh, knowing you're not alone for questions, right? If there's nobody to go uh, reach out and ask for support or to get ideas or to even have that group to stay motivated on those pieces, I think is, is super important. So that's a, a great resource for them. Absolutely. Yeah, and definitely that's a perfect segue to our final question, Dr. Benton. Um, I think you have a unique approach where, you know, you're talking to both students and and people who have been in the industry for so long. Um, you know, do you have, if for those who are interested, you know, how can they reach out to you to learn more about these green teams and and the webinars and the the content that you're putting out? 
Thank you for asking. I'm happy to share that information. So the website is www.astrapto.com. Astrapto is spelled, it's very phonetic. It's A-S-T-R-A-P-T-O. On Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, we are at Astrapto Academy. And you can find the links to those things at the website. Um, we run courses. We have a course on Udemy, and we also have uh, courses on our own uh, private uh, site on the Teachable platform. So all of the links to all of that are in the website. And I would be happy to offer your listeners a coupon code. So um, let me know afterwards if you'd like me to prepare that, and I will uh, give you a coupon code so they can get a little discount on any of the courses we have. We will definitely take you up on that. Um, and then to our listeners, we'll also have all of Dr. Benton's contact information in the details for this podcast as well. And I would like to add that, you know, for anybody who's looking for, you know, if you're trying to get that green team started, if you want to do like a lunch and learn Zoom call or something like that, then please definitely reach out to me because I think it's sometimes just having somebody come in and do like a 15 minute you know, like, rah, 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 this is a great topic. Let's call, get excited. You know, I'm good at that. I do a lot of that. And so uh, I'm happy to entertain uh, opportunities to do that for anybody who's looking to motivate their teams and kind of reach out, especially to people who don't normally get invited to the table for these conversations. Right, right. Well, Dr. Benton, it has been a pleasure speaking with you and, and learning all about you and your background. And I will definitely remember the meaning of a strapto going forward. It means illuminate. So awesome. thank you. That word. And thank you again to my co-host, Nate, for, for joining us as well. Absolutely. And to all the listeners out there, this is the Modern Energy Management Podcast. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe every week wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please don't forget to Share us with a friend, a colleague, or leave us a review on the Apple Podcast app. We love to hear from you. And if you're interested in being a guest or have an idea or topic that you'd like for us to explore on the podcast, you can definitely reach out to us at communications at buildingos.com. Thank you again for tuning in, and we will be back next time with another great story. Take care, everyone. <laughs>